Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Now today we continue the iconic album series up to number four where I'm joined by my friends Gabor and Rob and we're getting in depth with the Stevie Ray Vaughan album In Step. That's coming up real soon. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace, Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The pedal movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Maskus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, welcome to Iconic Albums. I am joined by Gabor Jessica. Hey, Matt. Hey, Rob. Hey, and Rob Rhodes. Good to be back. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to have you guys. Great to have you guys. We're back with uh, three more albums. Um, For the people at home, we we choose an album each that we think is uh, got some iconic guitar value, and then we talk about it. So tonight's album, we're talking about In Step by Stevie Ray Vaughan. It was released in June 89. It was uh, This is my choice this week. And the reason I chose this, I could have chosen any Stevie Ray Vaughan record and they all would have been killer. Um, the reason I chose this one, this was probably the first album that came out after I got into Stevie Ray Vaughan and at least after I knew who he was. Um I was getting guitar lessons in early 89. I'd just finished school. I'd started working. I could afford to get some more guitar lessons. And my guitar teacher was showing me this Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff. So that's when that's when it all launched. So that's why I chose this album. Now, when I say because I knew it was Stevie Ray Vaughan, I had a couple of introductions that I didn't know who he was, but I knew I was digging his playing. So to explain, um, David Bowie's Modern Love album comes out in the early 80s and um, huge hits like Let's Dance and China Girl and Modern Love and um, there's this great blues guitar on it and of course it's Stevie Ray Vaughan playing some some solos on that record enlisted by Niall Rogers the producer who, who would go on to do some stuff with uh, Ray Vaughan at the end of his career so yeah the Let's Dance and China Girl solos I always loved and I thought, wow, is David Bowie playing these solos? Because he he plays. I think it's the I think it's the Let's Dance video clip that was filmed in Australia. Yeah. Bowie's playing a strat, wearing a pair of white gloves, 
Yeah, um, the, the gloves, I always love that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the first time I heard him. Second time for me was, again, uh, Wide World of Sports that we, we spoke about, um, especially Rob, about the Joe Satriani stuff. So Scuttlebutt. I missed button. out. I missed out. I was in Europe when all you guys were watching all this cool music on Wide World of Sports. That's true. That's right. <laughs> what was the sports show uh, from your homeland, Gabor? Did you ever? Was there a crazy sports show on Saturday afternoons? Not really. No. Uh, we watched. I watched a lot of Formula One. That was sort yeah, of one nice. of the things that was seemed to always be on on weekends in in Europe when I was little. And um, there wasn't really a crazy sports show with cool music in that. We we weren't that cool. <laughs> we had that um how was that still the one remember that song that was the big the closer uh, yeah and always had that pole the um the volta that always like just hit the the pommel horse like fair in the yeah. chest it was perfect just so great so great it was good every week yeah, yeah. look it up it's great i'm sure there's some stuff on youtube for sure check it out. Um, so yeah, that was my introduce introduction to um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, and then later found out who he was. Um, how about you guys? What was the Stevie Ray Vaughan entry point? I think for me, again, it was it was uh, um, when I first started playing, and I was in high school. You just couldn't not. It's like with Satriani, you couldn't not couldn't not have someone tell you you should learn some Stevie Ray, yeah. and I think it was. Pride and Joy was probably the first one I would have ever heard, and I, I sort of tried to learn how to play. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Rob? I think I have to go back to that Guitar Legends thing on MTV again because I think that's the first time I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, they played a clip. It's escaping me what clip that was, but um, yeah, it was it was kind of like, oh, who's this guy? You know, uh, it's so cool. He's doing the behind the back, you know, with the strat, and you do it like behind yeah. playing that way, and he's yeah. doing all the Hendrix stuff, and um, just amazing. But then, you know, when I started playing guitar, it was everywhere it's in guitar magazines, and yeah. I'm similar. I think that I actually discovered um, the the Vaughan Brothers album first, okay, and then after that, in step because. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a really weird time because we were bombarded with so much music. It's hard to put it all in chronological mm. order. What we saw and heard yep. first. That... Sure. Yeah. Yep. So the Vaughan Brothers. Yeah, they came out with Family Style in 1990, and that was produced by Nile Rogers. So that was that kind of full circle for um, for Stevie Ray Vaughan and. Um, yeah, Instep was 89. Uh, very sadly, Steve Ray Vaughan passed away in 1990. I think it was August, if I remember the month correctly. Um, yeah, through a helicopter accident after being on tour uh, with Jeff Beck, just having an all-star jam with Beck and Clapton the night before. And um, yeah, very, very tragic circumstances. Yeah, because Clapton gave Stevie the seat on the helicopter because Stevie was sick. Very similar to Richie Valens. Richie Valens, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Crazy. So, In Step, the record. Um, standout tracks, anyone? Gabor? Uh, Riviera Paradise was for me the standout track. Beautiful song. Yeah. Um, for me, it, it, and, and <laughs> just what I wrote, wrote down here, 
Uh, it was the least bluesy one. <laughs> Start <laughs> no, setting I, a theme here, mate. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, I always like. Look, I reckon my my favourite song of his that I that I that I knew of before listening to this would have been Lenny, yeah. and that is very similar vein that that Riviera Paradise, very similar kind of even sounding and just everything about it quite similar but, but I, I i really quite liked it it was it was nice actually it was a uh, it sort of finished off the album because it's the last track too isn't it it, it sort yeah, of finished yeah. off the album nicely so yeah I, I that was my standout track awesome awesome rob this is so difficult it's <laughs> it's like trying to decide what guitars to take to a gig yeah I, yeah um look i love scratch and sniff um primarily for that wah solo and the te- yeah. the tension in that solo uh, that he that he keeps over that five chord before it comes yeah. back into the last verse that's killer um tightrope that that intro is just beautiful um and the solo is like shotgun you know it's like a gun going off every time he hits a couple of those yeah. notes yeah. Um, and then I, I can't go past the solo in Leave My Little Girl Alone too. I think uh-huh. like how there's just so much emotion and feel in that that you can, you know, you can feel it. It just, it's just comes through the speed. I was listening to it pretty loud the last couple of days and it's like he's in the room, <laughs> like shaking, shaking the roof um, in this little room that I'm in here. And yeah, it's that record. Yeah. It brings back great memories. Yeah, awesome. How about yourself, man? man? For do you know what I? I'm sort of going down Gabor's route of of the the less (laughs) blues. Well, no one told me this was a competition. (laughs) The less twelve bar stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. I catches my ear. I guess because there's so much twelve bar stuff on all these records. Yeah, uh, rightly so. And he kills it. He kills it. All of it. Um. So I guess just getting out of that. Um. Uh, that pattern is is kind of fun. Crossfire's awesome, is killer. Yeah, those open low E's or E flats really that he just punctuates in the solo every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, and the horns in that sound awesome. The horns and the keys in that. I, I that's yeah, I really dig that. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, Riviera Paradise is is beautiful. Yeah. Um, like like Lenny, um, like Little Wing, his instrumental version of Little Wing. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of same. Same kind of idea. Um, thing I love about that tune, a couple of things, is that um, when he did instrumentals, it's it's not like the Satriani school of a very defined melody that's repeated or developed. Um, although he does that, um, but he's just he's just grooving along. It, they sound like beautiful jams as well. well. You can, yeah, you can tell he's improvising it as he's going along, and he I guess in the studio probably did a couple of takes, and they picked whatever one was the best one. Um, but you can tell he's improvising, um, and yeah, that's that's yeah. what I like about it too. It's sort of you can tell there's bits he know you know he has a certain part that he goes back to always that he you know there's a there's a turnaround, but yep. in between it he just kind of makes it up. And his phrasing is so good. That's the thing. Yeah. That's great yep. phrasing. So I just can I just add to Riviera Paradise as you were saying you know imp- oh. improvised. I, yes. I have these coffee table, like massive coffee table books. <laughs> called, Ottoman books, I believe they're called. Yeah. <laughs> Ottoman books, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Day by Day, Night After Night. And this is the second uh, issue, his final years. But it has the studio 
dates running for the oh, in-step cool. record. So wow. um, Riviera Paradise seems I only worked on it for one day. Okay. Uh, February 27th, um, they tracked Riviera Paradise um, along with The House is Rockin'. So that were the two songs tracked on that day. Um, there's no other mention of Riviera Paradise. So I don't know how many takes he would have done over how many hours, but... Maybe it was just a one-take wonder thing. One day. Like, it was tracked wow. on that one day. That's the only solo on the... Oh, sorry, it's the only song on the album where Steve Ray Vaughan is the sole songwriter as well. So I think he's just come in with this chord progression. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and they've run it. Hey, cool story about that tune is that... Um, they were recording the tape, of course, back in the day. Yeah. And um, the jam it was quite a long jam. It's quite a long tune. They had the lights turned down low and the engineer noticed they're getting towards the end of the tape. So he's, he's waved down. I think it was the drummer, uh, Whipper Layton. Um, I think he's, he's, he's waved him down and, he, and he's wrapped up the tune just in time and they've, they've closed it off. And um, and the tape has just run off the spool. Oh wow! <laughs> imagine imagine doing the perfect take, yeah. And then it's just oh, oh crap, the head's gone. <laughs> fade would, out. Oh man, that would suck. Or a cheesy fade out after or all that long out, yeah. jam. And yeah, 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 so that's cool. Think about the phrasing that that you mentioned, Gabor, is so true because he's not he's not getting super jazzy over those chord changes. No. Um, but just that beautiful phrasing yeah. works with that bluesy melodic material. Just works so, so well over it. I guess like the David Bowie stuff, he's, he's not playing over blues changes on that stuff either. No, no. But it just, that super strong, confident phrasing just wins every single time. Yeah, yeah. The other standout for me on this record was Wall of Denial, the, the 12 8 shuffle. Actually, that's the other one I'd written down. I love that little riff with that. Is it like a chorusy effect, or is it like a, what is it that that effect that he's got on it? Yeah, I, I was wondering myself. There's a few. I was digging around to try and find out. He's um because he, he used Leslie's a lot, but I don't know if it, it didn't quite sound like a Leslie, or I don't know. It was it's a cool effect, and it's a cool riff. I really dig that riff. Yeah, that dunga da dunga. Yeah, I believe it was a Fender yeah. vibratone. Okay, all right. Yeah, so um, on that. On his amp rig, there's that famous photo of all the amps from their in-step sessions. And uh, in that book, it said that all his Leslie and chorusy sounds came from the Vibra Fender Vibratone. Okay. Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool tone, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it sounded really cool. I read something. I don't know if this is true. I read some, some article suggesting in the studio he used to like to use the Roland Dimension D, the rack mount, and oh. that that he discovered that on the the David Bowie sessions, and he still pulled it out every now and then. Yeah, I read something similar. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think couldn't stand the weather was one track. It sounds it's kind of mushy. It's not a it's not a Leslie, but is it that chorus sort of because thing? Because they're, they're kind of their own kind of thing. They're not quite a chorus. They're not. No. It's just this kind of weird special thing. Actually, yeah. I've never played a real one, but the the boss pedal and the, a lot of the plugins they they're great. They just make everything sort of. We call it the embiggener. <laughs> I remember your video for that. Absolutely, embiggens everything. <laughs> That's my favorite chorus. It's a great sounding. Yeah, I, it's I, really I good. I use yeah. that. Yeah, and, I use and, that or an emulation. 
this is also one of those things where if you say it's a chorus in the comment section, you will get a oh, lot yeah. of hate because it's yeah. not a chorus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Um, yeah, because it's this, it's this uh, phase thing where you have two completely separate things. Anyway, it's, it's yeah, but um, it's a cool sound, yeah. Well, yeah, the encyclopedia definitely. does say the dimension D, so yeah. Okay. Well, well, there you go. It, maybe it was that. There you go. Awesome. Hey, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more Stevie Ray Vaughan talk. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. All right, welcome back. I'm with Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica. We're talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan's In Step, his final studio album as a solo artist, or with Double Trouble at least. And uh, we've been talking particular tracks, starting talking tones. Rob, you mentioned all the amps used. Have you got an amp count? Like I've read 32 amps were used on that record. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I don't have that many, but I have the main ones. Um, JCM 800. He had a he yep. had three dumbbells. As you do. A blonde, a blonde <laughs> twin, the uh-huh. uh, original vibe reverb, and a pair of marshals with two eight by ten cabinets. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was that was the majority, and that's that famous photo that I mentioned earlier. Um yeah. that if you go yeah. into Google and click Stevie Ray Vaughan's amp. Studio amp rig for instep. That's the photo that pops okay. up. That's killer. Um, and obviously his number one strat featured pretty heavily on that mm. record. Uh, fun fact about the number one strat: he acquired it in uh-huh. 1974 from Ray Hennig's Heart of Texas Music. Apparently, he didn't pay a cent for it. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's probably what acquired means. Is it given or stolen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fell out of God. the back of a truck. It is now worth over... A, it's estimated to be worth over a million dollars now. Yeah, right. I mean, it is one of the most iconic... I mean, are there many guitars that are more iconic than that? Ooh, let's think. This is a good, this is a good topic. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Gilmore's Black Strat. I mean, Eddie's... Yeah, Gilmore's Black Strat. Um, Obviously, Eddie's... Kurt Cobain's acoustic from Unplugged. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> um, all right. 
So yeah, apparently Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Vaughan's got that guitar now. He's looking after it. Okay. Um, but we all heard the story about that guitar. So which one? Um, in nineteen ninety, the neck was broken after someone tied the stage curtain to a huge stage baffle. Um, and it came crashing down right on the guitar, oh. just missing Stevie. He just left the stage at the time. So this whole folklore of him, you know, having near misses a couple of times before he, you know, finally lost his life in a helicopter crash. He, you know, he thought he had a dream and saw his own, his own death. So there's a few stories going around about that. But this thing was 30 foot tall by six foot wide and weighed a ton. Wow. It came crashing down on the guitar and um, just completely shattered the neck. There's photos that you can find on oh, um, Google. I'm not, I'm not giving uh, Google ad space here, but um, it's, it's the place to find stuff. Um, what is that? The Google ad yeah. song? Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was a near miss for Stevie. And, yeah, the guitar was completely, well, the neck was rebuilt or a new neck was put on it. No. So the original was a what I read was a sixty-two neck. Well, until it was broken, the sixty-two neck and a sixty-three body. Um, the fingerboard radius. I, I read this recently. I found it interesting. Was it was originally a seven and a quarter inch scale, like yeah. all vintage Strats. Yeah. By the time it had like multiple refrets, it was down to like a ten inch. Okay. So it flattened out quite a lot. Yeah. Well, That's and he had quite a heavy. Heavy touch, and I mean, thirteen gauge strings too, didn't he? Like he played really heavy gauge strings, big strings. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Interesting about all those amps too, because he was really getting into multi amp rigs at the end there, um, like you were saying, Rob. Um, but you know what? I think he just had such a, a force of of personality in his playing. It, it didn't matter what amp he was plugged into. You never thought, oh, that's the Dumble. Oh, yeah, that's the that's his super reverbs or, or, you know, all those marshals and all that kind of thing. I think that's what they all have in common, isn't it? Like Eddie had Fenders and Music Mans and Marshalls and it was just yeah, yeah. about volume and about getting that tone right. And Hendrix did the same. Yeah. There was Sun and Fenders and Marshalls and Boxes, but it still came yeah. out sounding the same, which is, you know, one of those things we all say it's in the fingers. Um, yeah, yeah. Have you have you guys heard that interview with Mike Soldano about um, he made an amp for Stevie Ray Vaughan and he loved it and he it was there for him to be picked up for like he was going to come and pick it up but then he died and it never was picked up that oh, amp wow. that was made for it, he's really not, uh, actually that interview he seems like a really nice guy Mike Soldano and like a really long story it's again uh, use our favorite search engine uh, provider <laughs> to find that interview out there Bing. but um. Yeah, interesting story that, yeah, he, he was going to, and I think it was uh, uh, that also one of the reasons why the snakeskin thing happened on oh, Soldano's. Okay. Wow. I think that was one of the Stevie Ray things. And, and um, uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it never got picked up. And I think he had it, whatever the last name was because before lockdown, 2020, I guess January 2020, the NAM show. Uh, he had it at the NAM show. That was the one of the amps he had there on display, which was the, the Stevie oh, Ray wow. amp that was custom built for him. And he never picked it up because he died wow. before it was picked up. Nah. There you go. Right. Hey, yeah. Interesting early 90s then because Clapton was playing Soldano's then. 
and Eddie before I, I can't remember when the PV deal happened, the fifty one fifty, but before that Eddie was playing Soldanos as well. Well he was the man for a while, Mike Soldano. I mean he everyone used his amps. He was the he got the most gain out of those amps than more than anyone else. Absolutely. Now it'd be criminal if we didn't discuss TSs, right? We're talking Stevie yeah, Ray Vaughan <laughs> and the tube screamer, like it wouldn't be what it is without him. Can we agree nope. on that? Yes. I've never been a fan of Tube Screamers, but funny enough, I'm using one now um, and I have been for a little while, but uh, the Tube Screamer Mini. Um, oh, yeah. But Stevie regularly upgraded as new uh, versions came out. So from the TS-808 to the TS-9 to the TS-10 uh, Classic. Um, but his favorite chip was the RC-4558 chip, which is you know the famous chip. But yeah, it didn't yeah. seem like he was attached to any particular one. He just kept getting the latest one, um, taking it on the road with him. Which is at odds with every forum in the world. Oh, of course, argue <laughs> over these things. No, but I mean, from from what I, from what I can gather, he was quite rough with his gear too. He wasn't one of those guys who was really precious about his gear. So I think he went through a lot because he just jumped on it and stomped on it. Because I think. Just from the way when you watch him play, he was very heavy-handed with everything, and I guess he was heavy-footed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So everything got quite a workout. So I guess things just break. I mean, yeah. And especially the the, the Ibanez stuff, the the old eight oh eights. The switch wasn't very good. Uh-huh. On a nine oh nine, the switch was a, um, the oh nine. Sorry, the the TSO nine. The switch was a bit better. And then on the ten, the switch was really crap again. So I can imagine them um, breaking very easily if you're not very careful with it and from what i didn't he just have it like gaffer tape to a piece of wood like it wasn't that his pedal board like with gaffer tape or or even um string uh, um wire like tires like i think so it's pretty it messy some, i'm pretty sure it was messy yeah, it was just very quickly put together and thrown yeah, together so yeah that's where eric johnson got it from <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but yeah that tube screamer tone that's a massive part of the part of the recipe yeah. yeah, that and volume. Yeah. So for Waz, he was always a Vox Wah guy. Yeah. Um, and then other effects were the Dallas Arbiter Fuzz Face and the, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for how I pronounce this, but the Tyker Bray, <laughs> Octavia. Octavia, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally he used the Univibe for a brief time until he got the Fender Vibratone yeah. and the Roger Mayer Octavias as well. Um and then Cesar Diaz installed matching germanium transistors in a Dallas Arbiter fuzz face to increase the transistor life. So he was already getting pedals modded. So yeah, yeah. I think that um, you were right there how he didn't really care how he treated the stuff. No. So it had a limited lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, it go pretty hard. I was surprised with the fuzz. Um, quick name drop. I had Philip Sace on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and... Um, he was telling me that, yeah, Stevie was, was playing fuzzes towards the end of his career um, that were modelled by Cesar Diaz. He was told by Cesar that okay. uh, Stevie was onto the fuzzes. And again, I don't know, I dig back through the tracks where, where it was mentioned, like the, some of the Hendrix covers. Like, oh, yeah, I guess so. But again, it's just, it's a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan. It, I'm not thinking, oh, man, that's the fuzz face now. It, it, it didn't jump out as it would perhaps with, with other players. I think late on that, late on in step, you can hear the fuzz 
Um, just trying to remember what track it was, but it's really fuzzy, which stood out to me because it wasn't something that I immediately would uh, think that Stevie Ray would use or that tone I wouldn't hear. But okay. it might be um, it might be the outro of Wall of Denial actually. Um, oh, okay. It's really quite I fuzzy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The outro solo, yeah. yeah. Could be, yeah. So good, far out. So good. All right. Well, before we wrap up, we've got some. Uh, I did a little poll on online again this uh, for this episode. Um, any any guesses? I, I asked people for their favorite Stevie Ray Vaughan album or song. Now, two people, Gavin Moore and David Parker, just said that's not fair. That's and what I said. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any any guesses? Any uh, anyone want to make a guesstimation? Favorite song? I think it's going to be Tightrope or Crossfire. Or Pride and Joy. I guess that's the they're the biggest ones, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They are. They are. All right. I'm going to. Uh, I'll do my my shout outs now as we as we get towards the end of t- this episode. Um, all right, favorite Stevie Ray song or album? Uh, Wall of Denial, Jason King, one vote. Tightrope, David Ages, Simon Kinney Dang. Lewis. Oh man, so many good guitar players are, are chiming in with this stuff too. Killer. Uh, Life Without You, Scotty Burford, Matos Nine. I tried to find out Matos's nine real name. Uh, it was just Matos Nine. Um, uh, in Step as an album, uh, Matt Cardi, Joseph Deboer. Matos Nine, favorite album. Uh, Texas Flood, Troy Casadaly, friend of the hey. show. Um, Dan Freer, Ben Rogers, uh, Jimmy Barnes, yeah. guitar player. He's coming on the show soon. Um, Texas Flood, that was three. House is Rockin', Warren Scott. Uh, Sky is Crying, Luke McMartin, and Pat Keegan, who built this guitar behind me. You can't see that on the podcast. Sorry, everyone. Cool looking. Uh, <laughs> Use your imagination. It's a guitar. Uh, Crossfire, Jamie Mercer, Greg Evans. I'm hoping it's perfect match greg evans greg evans please let me know if that's you uh riviera paradise one with joseph tabua uh couldn't stand the weather simon rafalo rowan mansley ben rogers again scuttle button from chris churchwood uh lenny from marcus kerbin and the 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 number one song in, in my little uh sample was life by the drop voted for by david parker warren riley owen drynan and Joe Salas, which is incidentally not a 12-bar blues either. Gabor, there you go. Woohoo! <laughs> Wasn't it? It was actually recorded for Instep, that song too, but didn't make the cut and then ended up on The Sky's Crying, you know, which was a posthumous release. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Compiled by to that. Jimmy Vaughan. Um, 12-string, 12-string acoustic. Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, before cool. we go, I can I just say that everyone should go and watch the Austin City Limits after they listen to this podcast, yes. because that's just, yeah, a, it's a masterclass. Um, and also check out the reissue of Instep, which has some bonus tracks with a 13 minute version of Life, with, uh, Life Without You. Oh, wow. And man, goosebumps, tears, whatever. You've got, you're not human if you don't emit those emotions during that, that song. <laughs> it's just beautiful. <laughs> that's awesome man alright well there you go In Step by Stevie Ray Vaughan 
Uh, fantastic record. Thanks. I'm joined, have been joined by Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica. Guys, where can people uh, follow your stuff? So, Rob? Uh, um, living in the 70s live um, on Facebook. Um, you can check out pretty much all our dates and uh, some live stuff there. Uh, gigs. It was sad. We just put our 100th date in for the year. And yep. just like that, we're back to 97. <laughs> one weekend. <laughs> That's like Instagram Thanks. followers. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> oh, man. And Gabor? Well, uh, if if you have the stamina, you can type in uh, "super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show." <laughs> uh, all one word, no gaps, and uh, on YouTube, and you will find us uh, two very nerdy-looking guys uh, doing lots of giggling and fiddling with knobs on pedals and guitars and amps and stuff. And yeah, uh, not to be confused with the super fun hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing you find when you type in super fun with no gaps. But yes, uh, yeah, the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. That's that's me. That's awesome. Okay, and you've been warned with the Google search there. So Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. Great choice, Matt. Catch you next time. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Rob. All right, there you go. Stevie Ray Vaughan's Instep. Fantastic record. Highly recommended to give it another spin if you haven't heard it in a while. Hey, my thanks to Fretboard Biology and The Pedal Movie for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. Now, next week on the Iconic Album Series, we are checking out Deep Purple's Stormbringer, a slightly controversial choice, and uh, it was a lot of fun discussing this record. Of course, the long-form interviews keep coming on the Guitar Speak podcast as well. And best thing to do is just simply subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, wherever you pod, and uh, you'll get the episodes zoomed into your pod player thing each and every week. All right, thanks so much for listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling, and I always like to close with the words that legendary German rocker Michael Schenker told me once, and those words were... Keep on rocking. Okay, see you next time. Bye now.